Last weekend, we saw how Jesus deliberately took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, a pagan city, a gleaming, magnificent city that was set on a cliff about 1,100 feet above sea level. And there was a spring in a cave thought to be a portal to the netherworld, at least so the pagans thought, and a magnificent temple to the Greek god Pan had been built there. Jesus chose that spot to begin to make it clear to his disciples he alone is the truth, that he is not just one truth among any number of equally valid truths, but rather the exclusive truth, precisely because he is God, an exclusive truth that is inclusive because his desire is the salvation of every man and woman. He asked his disciples, and he asks us every single day, the critical question, who do you say that I am? Only Peter, in that zone of encounter between humanity and grace, was privileged to blurt out the truth, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, surrounded by the claims of pagan truths, blessed Peter because he responded to grace and declared the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus, in turn, declared Peter to be the rock upon which he would build his church and that the gates of the netherworld would not prevail against it. Now, Peter, no doubt, had to have been elated what an incredible experience. But boy, how fast things can change. As quickly as Peter was thrust into the limelight by his response to grace, just as quickly he fell. When he abandoned grace and he relied on what? Himself. Now how did that happen? Jesus made his first prediction of his passion, that he would suffer, he would die, and be raised on the third day. And Peter did what? He did what we all do. Jesus' plan did not mesh with Peter's. And so Peter immediately judged according to how Peter thought things should be how life should really work out, what Jesus really should do, what Jesus is how Jesus' expectations must mesh with my expectations. And for Peter, there was no room for a suffering Messiah. There was no room for a dead Messiah. And so the text tells us that Peter did what? He rebuked Jesus. The Greek verb to rebuke can mean to set a value, to assess a penalty, to allege as a crimination, hence its derivative meanings of reprove or chide, admonish, rebuke, reprimand. Peter lost the values grace infused to see Jesus as Jesus is 
And instead, Peter imposed his values on Jesus, that Jesus has to be a Messiah that would usher in a golden era for the Jewish people, that Jesus would just get rid of the Roman occupation, that Jesus would restore the Jews to their primary role in the world. Now, those are good values. No one questions that. They're wonderful values, but they were not Jesus's values. And we have to ask ourselves, do we at times have sets of values that we try to impose on Jesus? Judging Jesus' word, his love, his promise? Do we, like Peter, want to say, Jesus, uh, you know what, I, I hear you, Jesus, but I don't agree. This is what you need to do. And there many times in my life I said, Lord, just give me five minutes to run the universe, I'll fix it up. I'm sure we've all thought something similar. Peter abandoned the values that grace called him to embrace, that Jesus was to be a Messiah that would rescue all humanity, Jew and pagan, to restore every human being to intimacy with God, to vanquish the power of the devil. The same Peter who just minutes earlier acknowledged Jesus as the son of the living God, had completely forgotten what he had just said. And he relied on himself. You see, grace makes all the difference. And now it was Jesus' turn to rebuke Peter. Get behind me, what? You are an obstacle to me. I don't know about you, but if Jesus said that to me, I think I would wither into the basic elements of the universe. But whereas Peter allowed the values inspired by grace to be overwhelmed by his own values, Jesus' values will never be altered. We can pass all the laws we want. It doesn't change the fact Jesus' values will not be altered. You ever, have an, you ever try to argue with God? How's that work for you? And God loves a good argument, but Jesus' values will never be altered. And his rebuke of Peter was not in anger, it was for Peter's salvation. And his rebuke of our values we tried to impose on him is not out of anger, it's for our salvation. The Hebrew word Satan, or Satan, means adversary. Peter placed himself in opposition to an adversary of Jesus. Now, Peter did not intend to do this. That wasn't his goal. He simply could not see that he stopped responding to the grace he was given and he resorted to asserting his own vision of things, his opinion of how the world should work, his perspective of what should be. Or as Jesus put it so perfectly, Peter, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Have there been times when our words, our actions, our thoughts, our choices very quickly made us Satan's adversaries to Jesus? Even unaware that we become obstacles 
to his will for us? You see, the problem is we want to think of grace as some kind of bolt of lightning from the sky that instantly transforms us and we will always be on the right path at all times and make all the right decisions. And once in a while, I think it happens to a select few, but not for most of us. Rather, for most of us, grace is the whispering of God in the soul, inviting and then patiently waiting for our response. The conferral of grace is so simple, it's so subtle, that it may not even be recognized as that divine initiative, but it is. And let me say this as a former Protestant, now as a Catholic, God can grant his grace to anyone at any time, whenever he wishes, how he wishes, and he can even grant his grace to a non-believer. So we Christians have no cause to be snooty. God can give his grace to anyone at any time. Now if you want to see how grace can really transform how we think and how we act, consider the crisis in Texas, the epic flooding, the loss of well over 40,000 family homes, most of which will probably never be salvageable, the loss of all those small businesses, the emotional toll on those whose lives were, in just a matter of hours, shattered. These are being met not by despair and hopelessness, but by neighbors rising above their losses to help neighbors with their losses. That strangers are helping strangers because in what I have no doubt shall be one of the defining moments of Texan history. There are no strangers. There are brothers and sisters forged together by tragedy and sudden deprivation, but also by a rugged determination to move forward. You see the quiet mystery of grace as these people put one foot in front of the other, carrying what few possessions they can. But they're carrying also their crosses, and they are helping others to carry their crosses as well. You see the power of grace in those who risked rescuing those stranded and getting them to higher ground. You see the power of grace when blacks and whites do not see each other's color, but only that a human being is in desperate need of help. You see the transforming power of grace in something as simple as the healing power of a hug being given and received without regard to one's race, religion, or political ideology. You see the power of grace in a five-year-old boy whose name is Jet, who took it upon himself to sell lemonade and sweet tea to raise funds for flood victims. Jet raised $400. God, that kid's probably going to run a Fortune 500 company when he grows up. Now, $400 may not seem like a whole lot to those who are financially sophisticated. But like the few fish and a few loaves of bread presented to Jesus who fed 5,000 people with a superabundance left over, that little boy's gift 
radiated the potential of grace that touched the hearts of a nation and helped to unleash a fortune in charitable giving. And may grace compel us to be generous next weekend when all the parishes of this diocese will be taking a second collection to help those whose lives have been changed by the flood. Now, we may not think of those things as grace, the works of grace, manifestations of grace, but they are. Grace, always the initiative of divine love for man, moves us to go beyond ourselves, to do what Jesus called Peter to do, and what he's calling you and me to do, to think as God does, not as human beings do. That is what grace does.